Metamore Studios, in association with Liminal Corvid Press, proudly presents Things Unseen, a novel of Metamore City, written by Chris Lester, performed by Chris Lester and Dawn D. Wood. Chapter 1 March 6th, year 2000, Christos Reckoning. Metamore City, capital, Imperial Union of Metamore and Allied Nations. Hal? Hey, Hal, wait up! Harold Reigns II, Esquire, closed his eyes and winced at the voice of the man coming up behind him. For a moment, he entertained the idea of breaking into a run ducking down an alley, or vanishing into a crowd of people. Instead, he stopped, suppressed a sigh, and turned around. The man strolled across the plaza at an unhurried pace, his hands in the pocket of his black woolen greatcoat. The coat was unadorned save for the noble shield on the breast pocket, a black helmet against a quartered field of red and white, the arms of House Kapler. His gold label, a horizontal bar with three downward tags, stood above the helmet and marked the man as the scion of his house. Hal resisted the urge to roll his eyes. The shield was as big as the man's hand and would proclaim his identity to anyone within thirty meters, ostentatious and dramatic as hell. But then that was hardly out of character. The young noble flashed a smile that would have lit up a room. He took his hands out of his pockets and began to raise his arms for an embrace. Hal stopped him with a deep, formal bow. "'Lord Ezekiel,' he said, in a tone as respectful as any court lady could have asked for. The formal greeting brought the scion up short. The smile faltered for an instant, but he recovered himself quickly, matching Hal's bow with a much shallower one. "'Hello, Hal. It's been too long.' "'Too damned long.' or not long enough. The two thoughts warred for dominance in Hal's mind. The other man seemed to sense that, and his eyes twinkled knowingly. What is it, Zeke? Hal asked. Zeke shrugged. Thought maybe I could buy you a drink. Catch up for a while. It was Zeke's usual shorthand offer, and Hal knew where that drink would lead. It was the same script they'd been following, off and on, for more than two years— His stomach muscles clenched, and a twinge of arousal ran down into his groin. No, damn it, I'm not doing it. Not again. I'm sorry, Zeke, but I'm really very busy today. I need to be at Drowling Tower in twenty minutes. Zeke held up a hand, palm outward. Hal fell silent. Not to worry, Zeke said, pressing a button on his wristwatch. I'll drive you there. We can have that drink on the way. Before Hal could come up with any reasonable objections, Zeke's long black skimmer pulled up to the edge of the plaza. The driver got out and held open the door for Hal and Zeke as they entered. Once they were underway, Zeke took a bottle of brandy from the skimmer's liquor cabinet and poured a couple of snifters for them. He put his free arm around Hal and clinked their glasses together. To possibilities, Zeke said. Hal held himself upright in the seat, refusing to relax. He wanted to melt into Zeke's touch, to lean his head on the man's shoulder and breathe in the rich, masculine smell of him. No, you idiot! 
Hal wanted to scream at himself. Not again. Never again. Hal took a sip of the brandy. What kind of possibilities? The exciting kind, Zeke said. The kind that opens up new horizons. He held the brandy up to his eye, catching the light from the window, watching the patterns it made as it refracted through the glass. And the kind that fulfills old promises. Hal's train of thought hit the emergency brakes. He looked up at Zeke, waiting for him to elaborate. Zeke just showed him that damned devilish smile again. The bastard was going to make him ask. Which old promises? Zeke gave him a look of mock surprise. Why, the ones about your mother, of course. Hal closed his eyes. You bastard. You complete fucking bastard. Zeke, I've heard this from you before, and I don't... Believe me? Zeke asked mildly. I guess that's fair. I've been wrong before, after all. Hal snorted, but said nothing. But here's the thing. Zeke went on as if he hadn't heard anything. This time, I have it all planned out. Gear, transportation, cover story, alibis, and a man on the inside who owes me a favor... He leaned in close to Hal's ear, his breath hot and smelling like wintergreen. I'm going to get you your answers, Hal. Just like you always wanted. Hal turned and looked at him, his face inches from Zeke's. The scion's dark eyes glittered with triumph and absolute confidence. This time, he was really sure he'd done it. Damn it. I can't believe I'm doing this. Hal took a deep breath then let it out. Tell me what you have in mind. March 13th, 2000, Christos Reckoning. Telvari Rift Protectorate, Irambi. The tropical air hit Hal like a wet, steaming blanket as he exited the skyship. He stood on the ramp and choked down a few deep, heavy breaths, getting used to the oppressive humidity. Beside him, cargo handlers drove forklifts up into the hold of the ship, where they took up the wooden pallets stacked with crates of supplies. It would take an hour to offload everything, which was a testament to the size of Kepler Pharmaceuticals' operation here. Once the hold was empty, they'd begin loading their merchandise for the flight back to Metamore. Hal could already see the huge flats of Nocturna's lilies sitting on the tarmac, their flowers turned toward the sky in a sea of white and midnight blue. Attendants moved here and there down the long lines of plants, spraying them with a fine mist of clear liquid. It might have been water, but Hal wouldn't have been surprised if it also contained insecticide or some kind of antifungal agent. The last thing Zeke's father needed was an outbreak in the quarantine wards. A group of guards stood watch over the plants, and the assault rifles slung over their backs gave Hal a good idea of how much the crop was worth. Hal put on his sunglasses and walked down to the tarmac, where a Kapler attendant stood waiting beside a small white skimmer. The man wore khaki shorts and a white polo shirt with the Kapler pharmaceutical logo. His deep brown skin and short wiry hair marked him as a local hire. Good afternoon, Mr. Raines, the man said, bowing. His eyes were hidden behind a pair of dark sunglasses, but his smile was broad and looked genuine. Thank you. 
Hal said, giving him a small bow in return. What time is it here, anyway? I've been in the air for fourteen hours. It is one o'clock in the afternoon on the 13th of March, the attendant said promptly. The 13th? Cods, I lost an extra day in there. The Kapler man chuckled. Yes, sir. Many of our visitors from the Empire have that response. He gestured at the skimmer. May I take you to your quarters? Lord Ezekiel is out inspecting the plantation, but he told me to make sure you are taken care of. By all means, thank you. Hal crossed to the passenger side and climbed into the skimmer. The air conditioning was a welcome relief from the Arambian heat. The attendant slid into the driver's seat, put on the control headset, and started up the lift turbines. The little craft rose to a height of about ten meters and flitted off to the northeast. Hal wasn't used to driving off-road, and he blinked in surprise when the attendant simply flew them over the line of hangars and warehouses surrounding the tarmac. Whoa, he said. Don't they have traffic laws around here? The Kapler man chuckled. Nothing but air traffic around here, Mr. Rains. No roads. He crooked a thumb at the traffic control tower in the distance. They could see our transponder signal, keep track of where we are. And they make sure you don't run into anyone else? The man nodded. Course instructions are sent to the head-up display, he said, tapping his headset. I can see the positions of all the other skimmers in the area as well. Who needs roads? Hal looked out at the thick jungle surrounding the airport. He imagined trying to carve paths through all that, and then keep them maintained. Good point. It took about an hour to fly from the airport to the Kapler Pharmaceutical Compound. A cluster of white buildings stood on a relatively flat spot halfway up a mountain ridge, surrounded by a stone wall topped with razor wire. Looks friendly, Hal said dryly. There are dangerous beasts in the forest, the attendant said. The wall deters them most of the time. Behind the walls, Hal saw a series of slender guard towers spaced around the perimeter of the compound. Atop each one, men wearing the Kapler polo shirts sat languidly behind honest-to-God heavy machine guns. Each one had four barrels and was mounted on a swivel platform. One of the guards turned his gun to track the skimmer, then lowered the barrels and waved when they got closer. Hal swallowed. And those guns, are those also for the... (coughs) dangerous beasts? The attendant gave him a little half-smile. You can never be too careful in the jungle, Mr. Rains. They landed the skimmer on the roof of a building that resembled a hotel. A set of stairs led down to the top-floor landing, where a security door stood beside a palm scanner and an electronic card reader. The attendant produced a card from one pocket and handed it to Hal. The system has already been keyed to your biometrics, Mr. Rains. Just swipe the card and put your hand over the scanner. Your bags will be brought up shortly. Thank you. Hal had misgivings about the idea that Zeke had his palm print on file, but he pushed those feelings aside. In for a cent, in for a mark. He swiped the card and palmed the scanner. The door clicked open, and he went inside. The penthouse suite was typical of Zeke and his family, extravagant and overdone. Polished marble floors and Kellaware rugs spread out below a high-arched ceiling hung with crystal chandeliers. White marble columns lined the walls, carved into the forms of beautiful young men and women. 
Delicate confections of blown glass sat on pedestals and corner tables, glowing with the ever-changing pastel hues of their fey-light enchantments. The couches and chairs were overstuffed and covered in white leather. An entirely unnecessary fireplace stood on the far side of the living room, illusory flames crackling and dancing without giving off the slightest bit of heat. Hal shook his head and went in search of a bathroom. He'd only been out in the heat for a few minutes, but it had been a long flight, and he desperately wanted a shower. He found the bathroom after only a few minutes of searching. He found the woman a few seconds later. She was lounging in the oversized whirlpool tub, her head leaning back against one of the cushions along the side. Her auburn hair fell to around the level of her chin, framing a high-cheekboned, angular face that was more striking than beautiful. Her wide, thin-lipped mouth was set in a relaxed line that mirrored the pose of her body. She was not a tall woman, but her legs were long for her size. She had a gymnast build, lithe and athletic, with small, pert breasts and whipcord muscles. Her milk-white skin was flawless. The freckles she'd once had were now erased by spell-sculpting. For most men, the sight of her naked body in a hot tub would have been a welcome one. For Hal, it sent a line of ice water running down his spine. She opened her eyes to slits, and a slow, feline smile spread across her mouth. Her voice came out droll, amused, but there was an unmistakable edge behind it, like a dagger dipped in honey. Hello, Hal. Hal stiffened, inwardly cursing Zeke in his perverse sense of humor. He managed a brittle smile. Hello, Lady Julia. A long silence stretched between them. Julia watched him twist in the wind, giving him nothing to work with. Well, Hal said at last, this is awkward. Julia's smile widened. Why, Hal? Didn't Zeke tell you I was coming? No. Hal looked up at the ceiling. Though in retrospect, I probably should have guessed. Julia laughed. It wasn't a pretty sound. (laughs) Probably. We are almost inseparable these days. She didn't add the phrase, like you used to be, but it was implicit. She couldn't have marked her territory more clearly if she'd started pissing on the walls. The woman rose, climbed out of the tub, and began toweling off, indifferent to his eyes on her body. Misty and Safia are here, too. They're in the executive suite on the next floor down. Hal stared at her. Misty is here? I thought Zeke wanted to keep this low profile. Julia snorted. She had one of her retainers put on a doppelchamp and take her place for a few days. The paparazzi thinks she's on a ski trip on the other side of the planet. Hal breathed a sigh of relief. Let's hope it stays that way. Why did she want to come, anyway? The redhead shrugged. You know Misty. Always looking for an adventure. Uh Uh-huh. And what's your interest in the rift, Julie? You never struck me as the adventurous type. Julia cast a narrowed eye over her shoulder at him. I have my reasons. Hal crossed his arms. Like keeping an eye on your boyfriend? Making sure he doesn't fall back into any bad habits? She turned to face him then, her hazel eyes flashing. 
A splotchy red flush spread over her face and continued down to her breasts. Believe it or not, not everything is about you, Mr. Vance. She spat the title like an insult. I signed up for this before you did, and Ezekiel did not ask for my input before he invited you. She let that hang for a moment, then turned away and continued drying herself as if nothing had happened. We're both stuck with each other, so we'll just have to deal with it like we usually do. Meaning that we ignore each other's existence as much as humanly possible. Hal took a slow breath and then let it out again. And if Zeke and I decide to... What you and Zeke do together is your own business. As long as you're being safe about it, it's no interest of mine. She hung up her towel and walked past him to the door. She paused there, one hand on the door handle, and gave him one more backward glance. Just remember who's going home with him when this is over. She shut the door without waiting for a response. Hal sighed and began removing his clothes. The whirlpool looked inviting, but he didn't think he could stand it with Julia's scent still hanging in the air. He headed for the shower, hoping the hot water would wash away both the grime of travel and the bitter stains of memory. That night, Zeke held court in the penthouse living room, where he laid out the details of his plan. Dressed in a burgundy smoking jacket that was totally unsuited to the weather outside, seated in a high-backed armchair with his back to the illusory fireplace, he looked to Hal like a kid playing dress-up, or a villain in a cheesy spy movie. What Zeke lacked in taste, though, he made up for in charm and enthusiasm— His dark brown eyes sparkled with an almost manic glee as he told them about the obstacles he had overcome, outmaneuvered, or just paid off in order to bring them to this place. Hal had to admire his persistence and ingenuity, at least. Hal sat alone on the love seat on the far side of the circle, facing Zeke across the coffee table. The couch to his left was occupied by Julia, who sat on the end nearest to Zeke, and an older man whom Hal didn't recognize. He wore a white polo shirt with the Kapler Pharmaceutical logo, so Hal supposed that he must be one of the men on the inside whom Zeke had spoken about. On the other couch sat Misty and Seffy, their arms and legs intertwined with a casual intimacy. Seffy, Lady Sephira Hinlassos to the masses, looked much like she had when Hal first met her in boarding school. Tall, pale, and willowy, with white blonde hair that fell in a straight sheet down to her shoulders. The last ten years had filled out her curves a little, and given her an added measure of grace and poise. When Hal looked in her eyes, though, he saw the same warmth and laughter, the same gentle spirit as the awkward girl he'd once studied with. It reassured him to know that some people, at least, could live in the circles of power and not lose themselves. Where Sefi was largely unchanged, though, Misty was nearly unrecognizable. Or she would have been if her long succession of body enhancements hadn't been tracked by the gossip rags in lurid, exhausting detail. Lady Mysteria Halloway was the only heir to one of the richest noble houses in Metamore, and she took a perverse delight in flouting her family's ultra-conservative values. 
She'd made headlines across the city when she announced, at the age of 18, that she had joined the Church of Hedonism, the cult of the fallen goddess Suspira. In the ensuing years, she'd had her body spell-sculpted repeatedly, buying herself an hourglass figure, wavy black hair, red-brown skin, and sparkling amber eyes. Her latest enhancements were a set of pointed ears and a tongue that was twice the normal human length, the latter of which Hal had discovered when she kissed him hello. Hal wondered if she would ever round out the succubus look with horns and a tail. Probably not until after Count Halloway is dead, he thought. He'd leave his estate to the butler before he'd give it to a daughter who looked like a Daedra. Misty and Cephy made a strange pairing, and one that the tabloids had speculated on endlessly, but they'd been best friends for as long as Hal had known them. Whatever else they might share was no business of Hal's. They'd each had a succession of boyfriends over the last ten years, and Misty flaunted her participation in the orgies conducted by her church, but somehow they always found their way back to each other when the dust settled. Hal found that strangely encouraging— like a single genuine flower blooming in the midst of a garden of plastic. Zeke rose to his feet, drawing Hal out of his reverie. He raised his tumbler of Sathmore and whiskey and gestured at the man sitting next to Julia. That's where our Mr. Travers comes in, Zeke said. He'll fly us out to the northeast corner of the plantation, right on the border between the outer and inner rift zones. The border patrol has a shift change at 10.15 tonight. While their skimmers are on the ground, we'll slip over the border and head for the rift. What about the sensor net? Misty asked. Guards or no guards, somebody's going to see that. True, Zeke admitted, unperturbed. It took some doing, but I've made friends with the techies who are on duty tonight. That piece of the sensor net will be down for maintenance from 10.10 to 10.25. Plenty of time for us to slip through unnoticed. They'll bring down another piece of the net during the next shift change at 4.15 a.m. We can skim back out again with nobody the wiser. Misty smirked and nodded in approval. Pretty smooth work there, Zeke. Makes me wonder what you promised them. Never you mind, Zeke said easily. Travers shifted in his seat and cleared his throat. His face was outwardly calm, but his eyes had a trapped look about them. I wonder if Zeke's holding something over him to get him to do this, Hal thought. No, scratch that. I wonder what Zeke is holding over him. I still can't say I'm quite clear on what it is you'll be doing out there, Lord Ezekiel, Travers said. Seems to me they put up that fence for a damned good reason. Zeke smiled, looking completely self-assured. My dear Mr. Travers, that fence is there because of fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of something the authorities can't control. When Lightpath 2 returned from the rift, every single member developed incredible psychic powers from their exposure. Travers smiled dryly. Son, I remember Project Lightpath. There were a whole lot of folks who didn't come back at all from that mess. And the ones on the rescue team who did come back went crazy. Only four of them had to go into serious therapy, Zeke said. And what they thought was insanity back then was really just their new powers manifesting. They didn't know what to expect, what was happening to them. We do, and we will. He shrugged. Besides, 
The mere suits we have now are ten times better than the best suits that Project Lightpath had. We're not going to soak up more than a fraction of the mana rat that they got. Hal stared at him, incredulous. Is that why you're doing this, Zeke? You want psychic powers? Gods, don't tell me you've still got that inferiority complex just because you're- Hal! The bark of Zeke's voice cut him off immediately. For a moment, Zeke's eyes bored into Hal, flashing with anger. Julia fixed him with a similar look. Hal gazed back at them, unflinching. He'd seen it all before. After a long moment, Zeke's expression relaxed into that charming smile again. We're here to help you, Hal, he said, as if speaking to a child. All of this is for you, so that you can find out what happened to your mother. The rest of us are just going along for the adventure. And if we happen to pick up a few new talents in the process, well, that's just a bonus. Sure, Zeke. It's all about me. That's why you got Julia signed up for this before you ever told me about it. Hal sighed, not wanting to continue the argument. Fine. So what are we going to do once we get there? You mentioned trying to make contact. Yes, exactly. Lightpath 2 found the remains of a communion spell that the first team used when they got close to the rift's edge. Nobody knows exactly what they made contact with, but it's pretty obvious there's something out there. If it was talking to Lightpath 1 when the surge hit, it can probably tell us what happened to them. Assuming it didn't cause the surge, Misty pointed out. You go poking big ancient powers with a stick, they might get a little annoyed with you. Which is why we're going to play it subtle. Sefi, you're the magic expert here. You said that we can invite the spirit to contact us without pushing it around, right? Sefi nodded. It's basically the same spell people use to talk to nymphs. It's not that hard. There you go, Zeke said, turning back to Hal. We go out there, get close to the rift, open a line, and see if anybody wants to talk. Couldn't be simpler. Travers grunted, but said nothing. Misty glanced over at Seffy with a knowing smile. That's the plan, folks. If any of you want to back out, now's the time. He looked over at Misty. The woman rolled one shoulder in an insolent half-shrug. Sneaking into an imperial restricted zone, full of dangerous wild magic, so we can talk to an eldritch spirit of unknown power and intentions? She grinned fiercely. Sounds like a whole lot more fun than skiing. I'm in. Seffi shrugged. You need me to do the communion spell. It's a little scary, but it's also exciting. I'm not backing out now. Zeke looked over at Julia, who simply nodded. He raised his eyebrows at Travers. I'll be your driver, Travers growled, but don't expect me to get out. Entirely fair, Zeke said. His eyes fell on Hal. Well, Hal, what do you say? Hal crossed his arms. It's dangerous, illegal, irresponsible, and downright stupid. Zeke grinned. And? Hal looked down at the floor, sighed, then looked back up at him. And I'm in. Tuesday, April 3rd, 2000, Christos Reckoning. Night fell on the city of Metamore. 
In the upper levels, where the Empire's wealthiest citizens lived in penthouse apartments and walked on marble skyways 400 meters above the ground, nightfall was an invitation to relax and socialize. Exclusive nightclubs and gourmet restaurants swelled with patrons, business tycoons and movie stars rubbing elbows with the lords and ladies of the noble houses. Orchestras performed, ballet troops danced, theaters hosted bold new plays fronted by the finest actors and actresses in the Empire. Glamour and decadence reigned supreme. Two hundred meters down, the coming of night signaled the end of the workday for the city's middle class. Office workers, teachers, and students left their cubicles and classrooms, returning to cramped apartments and condominiums that offered as much comfort as their limited space would allow. The lucky ones might have windows that overlooked a garden terrace or the interior atrium of one of the massive towers that defined the city's skyline. For most, though, home was a well-appointed cage in a world of concrete, glass, and spell-hardened steel. When they felt the walls start to close in, they might escape to a concert or a movie theater, go swimming in a public pool, or visit the elevated shopping plazas that hung suspended amid the towers and the skyways. The night was a time to spend with family and friends, to rest and prepare for the next day's labors. At ground level, however, nightfall was something else entirely. In the tangled network of roads, alleys, and tunnels known as the street, direct sunlight was unheard of. 500-meter towers and four layers of magically suspended skyways blocked out most of the sun's rays, and even the electric streetlights were erratic and prone to malfunction. Nevertheless, during the daylight hours, the street was alive and active, as the factories and warehouses produced an endless stream of traffic and goods that kept the industrial heart of the city pumping. But when the factory workers went home, and the warehouses shut their doors from the night, the street's other inhabitants came out from their dens. Swoop gangs and drug dealers battled for territory with knives, guns, and unlicensed magic. Runners, the couriers and spies of the criminal underworld, sallied forth to rob, bribe, and sabotage the enemies of their employers. And in the darkest corners of the street, where even the gangsters dared not go, the hunters rose from their lairs. Nameless things that hated even the idea of the sun, they crept and skittered and slithered forth as twilight withered and died, eager to fatten themselves on the warm, tender flesh of the unwary. One such hunter watched with interest as a human stumbled into its territory. The man looked unusually old and weak compared to its usual prey, and he moved like the fox who already knows that the hounds are right behind him. His head darted about wildly, eyes looking this way and that. His breath came in ragged gasps, spittle flecking his mouth and beard. He turned the corner into an alley, took three shaky steps, then paused with one hand clutching the rail of a fire escape, the other grasping at his hair. Get out of my head, he shouted. Even to the hunter, it was clear that the man was both angry and terrified. It shifted a bit closer, feelers tasting the air, claws flexing as they anticipated the feel of the human's bones snapping between them. The man abruptly threw his head forward, pounding it against the railing of the fire escape. Get out, get out, get out! He did it again, and the cool night air filled with the scent of blood. The hunter hesitated. 
Something was wrong. The human was not behaving as prey should, and in the infrared spectrum of the hunter's vision, it could see the man's body temperature rising. It happened swiftly and with little warning. White fire erupted from the man's chest as a last feeble scream tore itself from his throat. The hunter hissed and recoiled from the light, burying itself in a pile of garbage as the alley briefly grew as bright as the noonday sun. When it was sure the light had gone, the hunter cautiously crept out from its hiding place. It tasted ash and ozone on the air and it saw the heat slowly fading around the fallen human. It came forward to investigate the body, but found nothing left but a few remnants of clothing and a dry, unappetizing husk of skin stretched over blackened bones. It picked through the remains for a little time, but finding nothing interesting or edible, it soon abandoned them. The hunter went in search of tastier and safer prey, leaving the strange body alone in the darkness. You've been listening to episode 52 of the Metamore City Podcast, written and produced by Chris Lester. This episode featured the voice talents of Chris Lester and Dawn D. Wood. Some music on this show was provided by Digital Juice at digitaljuice.com and is used in accordance with the licenses there too. Other music was provided by David Beard, at davidbeardmusic.com and is used by permission. Sound effects were provided by Digital Juice, by SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, and by the Free Sound Project at freesound.org. This audio adaptation of Things Unseen was recorded and mixed at Metamore Studios in Oakland, California. The story and recording are both copyright 2014 by Chris Lester. This recording is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives 3.5 license. You can make copies of this recording and distribute it to others, as long as you give credit to the author and don't change it or sell it. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org. All other rights are reserved to the author. If you would like to purchase this book, it is available on Amazon as a paperback for $17.95 US or as a DRM-free Kindle ebook for $6.99 US. It is also available in other ebook formats at smashwords.com. For more information about this show, please visit metamorecity.com. To share your feedback about this episode, please visit our discussion forums at metamorecity.freeforums.org. You can also email metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com or leave a voicemail on our comment line at 641-715-3900. Dial extension 255082 and hit the pound sign to leave your message. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the story. <laughs>